Patreon.com slash the walk-off podcast. Uh, $4 a month gets you in there. Baseball, Blue Jays, and more baseball. It's the walk-off with Scott Belford and Adam Mack. This ball is crushed. The diehard podcast for the casual fan. And another one. My goodness. All right. Welcome to episode 211 of the long toss here on the walk-off. It's June 18th. I'm Adam Mack. I'm ducking out here pretty quick. I got a Father's Day dinner that I need to get to. In my stead, Scott will be navigating, directing traffic today as he uh, loves to do every time he's he's doing uh, my role in the long toss. He always messages, messages me afterwards and gives me a big thanks for doing it most of the time because it's uh, <laughs> yeah. mentally exhausting to uh, juggle five or six balls at a time. But there's only two balls here tonight. Uh, that came out wrong. <laughs> Let's start that over. <laughs> <laughs> all right good start good start adam good start um maybe it is better that you leave maybe it's best i leave maybe it's just let's uh let's just go. all right i'm out uh, okay all right we're good i'm back uh this is this is fun uh it's been an ugly day in texas the blue jays blew it again uh we'll get to all that stuff uh, before we do, let's get the intros out of the way. Connor with a K, nice red screen behind you, blood red. Yeah, how you doing, buddy? It's kind, of, it's kind of the feeling right now. I'm I'm doing as well as one can, but I'm thankful for my work because I haven't had to watch a lot of these games fully. I just get the clips, cliff notes of it, so it's not great cliff notes either. So that's <laughs> but here we are. Here we are. Yeah, fair enough. Jen, are you? Uh... Are you having as much fun out east as we are in uh, Alberta? <laughs> I have chronic back and hip pain. I am not sleeping well, and yet I'm performing better than the Blue Jays. <laughs> so here, here, here we are. Here we are. Well, Scott, you're up in Edmonton right now. You got rained on too today. I kind of wish the Blue Jays got rained on down in Texas, and that game <laughs> could have been called in the fourth That's inning because we were up six nothing. Oh, I was I was doing a Father's Day brunch show at the Yellowhead Casino in Edmonton here at eleven thirty. Get on stage, do my work, get off, and I was very excited because I'm like, look at this, six nothing before I even get on stage, get off a of stage, eight six, and I'm just like, what in? It's your fault. What we'll has happened you. here? Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know what to even say about this team. I will say a few things off the top here. Number one, Mr. Mac, happy Father's Day, buddy. Oh. I know you're leaving us, but for good reason. So happy Father's Day to all the dads out there. And uh, I also wish to quickly plug our live show. So Adam and I doing our first live podcast on Thursday. So June 22nd in Calgary at Bottle Screw Bills. We've got the Eventbrite link and the tickets up right now as the pinned comment. If you're in Calgary, we're doing our best here, Adam and I, to, to unite the Alberta Blue Jays fans under one roof. So feel free to come on out. We've already got tickets sold. 
We've got some tables we've given away. It's going to be a fun night. We've got some giveaways we're doing. There'll be a little stand-up comedy involved. And of course, a night full of speaking baseball on an evening that the Blue Jays are off. So, you know, come on out and get your baseball, Phil. A question from Michelle in the live chat wants to know if the live show will be online live as well. I don't believe it will. Will it? We won't be streaming live, but it will be up as our we'll Friday re-air morning it Friday podcast, morning so. the next day. Yeah, yeah that's okay. right. There you go. We are not technically savvy enough to also add more complications to a live show than already is, but it will be available uh, for listen on the audio side and uh, for view on YouTube the next day. So there you go. Okay, we got a lot to talk to. Uh, Blue Jays Rangers series recap. Uh, Vladdy stinks. That's not news. <laughs> Offense at an all-time low. That's not news. Uh, coaches are frustrating. That's not news. <laughs> Stop me when I get to something we haven't been covering for the last month. Yeah. Uh, Shohei Otani leads baseball in home runs. Turns out he's pretty good. Um, that's also not news, um, unless you've been living under a rock. Okay. Um, look, I got to dip out here quick. So I'm going to selfishly start with my topic that I would like to discuss. And that comes down to yesterday's game. I believe it was, uh, Dalton Varsho pinch hit for in the ninth inning, Alejandro Kirk coming in. Uh, Varsho already had a home run in the game. He's hitting like 300 the last, I think three weeks. So it's not like as bad as ice cold. He's as close to an everyday player as we have. I mean, he shifts all over, plays anywhere in the outfield, but someone explained to me what kind of message this sends to like one of the guys when, Hey, game on the line, ninth inning. You just hit a home run. You're hitting hot. We'd rather have Kirk in there. Jen? It it says that the team is way too analytically focused because that that switch only happens because some number on some spreadsheet said that Kirk would be better in that position than Varsho and ignoring, you know, what has been happening right? With Varsho's bats the last X number of weeks and, you know, ignoring the moments and the fact that he already hit a home run and dot, 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 dot. Nope. We are going to go with the number on the spreadsheet. We don't care that you got a hot bat, Varsho. We don't care what we traded for you. We're going to, you know, make this change because a number on a spreadsheet told us to. And it just shows, in my opinion, Either one of two things, either either Schneider's hands are so tied up with whomever is in his ear telling him to follow the analytics or he has no feel for the game. I think it's the former. It's got to be one of the two. I tend to agree that it's the former. Um, either answer stinks though, doesn't it? Correct. Either way, it was not a palatable decision for anybody. I mean, I wish I was wrong and I wish Kirk had just hit a single and it started a rally and I could have just, 
but throw but my hands up and but go, that, well, they're smarter than the me. Right but... decision. That still necess- wouldn't have necessarily made it the smart decision or the right decision. I or know the it's just decision. extra bad. Like I feel for Varsho, knowing, who's got to be seeing yeah. that line drive to left field and going, well, I could have done that. Right. Yeah. And it makes it worse. Cause if Kirk does get the single, someone has to pinch run for him in that point of the game. So you're just wasting another bench <laughs> yeah. spot. You're, you're, you're burning bench spots. It's like when they, it's like when they burn their DH spot with Vladdy there. Like the amount of things that this this coaching staff Schneider at the helm of have done that I, I just can't get over is really starting to pile up. And I'm not I, I think most people know who watch the show. I'm not a guy who's been calling for Schneider's head. I've given him a ton of rope. And I still think that this is such a collaborative effort when it comes to how they're they're going about their analytics. And obviously the guys in the khakis have a lot to say and a lot of pull on what's going on. And maybe it's not Schneider, but maybe it is Atkins right from the top. But the thing about that Varsho pinch hit is even if it worked out, like I would have rather seen them pinch hit Kirk for Chapman, (laughs) you know, like there's someone on this team who's ice cold and someone on this team who is hot. Why are they taking the guy who's hot out? Even if he has a lefty bat, I just, anyways, I agree with everything that Jen said (sighs) and it's getting very frustrating to watch this. What feels like over management, what feels like overthinking these decisions that are just baseball decisions that you probably should just let happen. But who knows? Maybe it is the khakis, right? Like maybe it is the analytics department that just has too much say and they're taking away the guys who have the feel for the game. But if that's the case, I feel like there's no fireable end insight. Like everybody's job is just so insulated with like, there's, there's no one who has like the responsibility, like where does the buck stop? If it is just this like shady room of guys in khakis calling the shots, right? Like, mm-hmm. I, I, I think it's, it's genuinely, it's, if you're, if you don't like Schneider and you want him to get fired, you're going to have a painful season because it's going to take missing the playoffs for even thinking of him to get fired. Yeah, I would agree with Connor. Yeah. Yeah. And the way that it's looking, this team could easily do what they did in 2021 and have about 92, 93 wins and miss the playoffs just because of how the the rest of the American League is going. And if they end up turning it around, Schneider's still going to have his weird decisions in there and people are just people are just not going to like it. It's it's also because I think a small thing that people subconsciously think about is Charlie was a lot more fun. Not like Schneider was just Schneider was always like the serious guy of the two. And now you have Schneider and Don Mattingly, who are the two most serious looking people in baseball. And now that they're, they're looking like boneheads, it's just like this doesn't compute for why it's not working. And, and yeah, he will this team will have to severely underperform and miss the playoffs for him to get fired. Well, and you know what? That's a good point bringing up Charlie Montoyo, because clearly there was some sort of issue last year with the manager this year. Maybe it's a different issue, but there seems to be an awful lot of mistakes that are being made. And, you know, what that boils down to then are the people that are choosing, you know, who's going to be in these positions, right? The higher ups that are choosing who's in these positions. They're not, they're, I don't, I don't know. 
It's frustrating. Uh, on that note, I got to duck out here, Scott. Okay. Take yeah, care. All good the best, luck. Buddy. It's yeah, in good hands. Day. Everybody enjoy, in the grounds crew. Supper. Cheers. Yeah. Uh, we will go to chat here really quickly. Uh, number one, our San Francisco buddy, Devil Boy, is in the chat. So uh, Giants looking much better than they started the season, Devil Boy. Congratulations on that. He says, uh, becoming too reliant on analytics is plaguing the league these days. And I know we just kind of touched on this already, but Jen, what are your thoughts on how much, I think it's, and I mean, this has been something that's, progressed in baseball and kind of has had ebb and flows as analytics have become more prevalent. Are you, you are starting to see some of these teams try and find that middle ground though. The Blue Jays don't feel like that team, do they? To you, Jen? They don't. And I think the middle ground has to be, you know, first of all, we're assuming that the people that are in that dugout, we're assuming that the manager, the bench coach, and so forth are knowledgeable baseball people. We are assuming that on every team, right? Mm-hmm. Like yeah. very knowledgeable uh, at, and, and, and should know how to make a decision. To me, going to the analytics should only happen when you are completely unsure about what to do, right? So you've got a situation comes up in the game and you're like, oh, you know, uh, we've seen three really bad at bats tonight from so-and-so and and he's about to step in the batter's box. Let's take a look and see, right? Is he, is he the best person in this position or should we, should we pinch hit for them? That sort of a thing. But when things are going well with a player and you supposedly have like a feel for the game. That's what you, that's, you don't need to consult numbers at that point, right? You should be able to rely on your instincts as a smart baseball person. And I don't think they're doing that. And I think you made a point earlier, Jen, where who knows if they're allowed to do that. Right. If that's a problem, like Like that genuinely is a problem. And I would, I would like to think that somebody somewhere who has that power or that that ability to even speak to power then to say like what we're doing isn't working right this isn't working we've maybe got to try a different approach here and see how that goes and what's scary is what makes me um very apprehensive about this situation is the idea that take don mattingly for example right look at his resume if he is a guy who isn't being given the rope to use his baseball mind in these situations who is going to be there isn't a name right like it's it's going to strictly be from the analytic department if they're not going to allow some of these most experienced dudes to ever play the game or to ever be on the blue jays bench and they're not get, and again just for everyone in the chat too, we don't know. <laughs> like we no. don't know what's happening. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, and why hire Donnie Baseball if you're not going to use supposedly use the mind of Donnie Baseball, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, who that's... who came through prior to analytics? You know, so analytics are great. Numbers are great. 
you know, there's one thing to look at the data and there's another thing to really know what you're looking at and, and be able to like analyze that data in and analyze it quickly um, and analyze it properly. Like that's not the same thing as just having numbers at your fingertips and going with what the spreadsheet tells you to do, you know? And to that um, point, Jen, Mike, Mike in chat here brings up a really good point. And it's basically what you're saying, right? Analytics are great. If you have great analysts, bad analytics happen yeah. when maybe you're not dealing with the top analytics, analysts in the game. Uh, and he says, can we trade draft picks for that? I, you know, like it, it is one of these weird, because I think all three of us are on the same page here. We like analytics, right? Yeah. They can help. Like, definitely. The more information, the better. Mm -hmm. You can, you, uh, well, okay. Yeah. I think you need as much information as you possibly can. I also think you can get mired down in information. You can muddy the waters a lot. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And we've, <laughs> and we've seen big examples of people getting muddied down in this situation. A 2020 world series, they pulled Blake Snell and the Rays have never been back there again. And that's, that's basically like just the Rays in general is they are so good in the regular season because of analytics. But once you get to the playoffs, analytics just kind of gets thrown out the window and it's all about feel and they continue to do it and keep losing. And for the blue Jays, one of the, we all, the blue Jays love quotes and everything that they do. And one of the quotes that I loved and now absolutely despise is they said that they wanted to be good at all the little things. Clearly that is not the case because look at today, even the, uh, the throw in uh, to from Kiermaier to Bichette that lets another run score. Vladdy, uh, the error throwing it to Chris Bassett that basically gives up two, three more runs, like the and all and the base running in the first inning, like I I tuned out for thirty seconds and, and Vlad was gunned out for some reason because he got his wires crossed. The little things are killing them, and the little things are not analytics based. Those are just me like mental things that they need to know. And I think they're fundamentals, fundamentals, like things that you they've all learned throughout their entire baseballing lives. And now that you're at this point, there's no real end of this being mired in analytics site for the blue jays unless like if donnie if donnie baseball and john schneider at the helm aren't changing it i don't know what will like so i'm really curious what you two think right now the chat is going crazy over the lack of vibes on this team obviously uh when you when you're struggling <laughs> it's really hard to have fun right mm -hmm. like baseball is not fun while you're in slumps like the last you know, seven, eight games that this team has been on. But where are you at on the vibe, Connor? Because I know that a lot of the people are mentioning uh, Vladdy being bummed out, not having his buddy's Teo and, and Lourdes there. And is that affecting him? And I'm not going to put words in your mouth here, Connor, but you would hope at 24 years old and, and five years into Major League Baseball, he, it, his slump isn't due to his besties are gone. No, I, I don't think it's if, – if there's anything there, it's maybe like less than 5% of the reason right. that he's slumping. I think as far as vibes, the Blue Jays went from being one of the most fun teams in baseball to watch, like during their good and bad points in the last two, three years, to now they're one of the most like miserable teams to watch. And go look around the rest of the league. All of the other teams having fun. They all have the, the celebrations back. Like and and them taking away the home run jacket, while in theory it looked like it was going to be a really good idea, it was a sign that oh, this team is just going to be a little more boring. And now that they're boring and losing, the vibes are at an all time low. And now that I mean, for me personally, I'll toot my own horn. For the last two weeks, seeing people not slander Kevin Biggio 
and and actually being nice to him has been really nice but it sucks that they're losing <laughs> like it sucks that they're losing but yeah it's just the vibes are completely off and i think it's on, on vladdy he's just he's lost like it's not i think it's more of an approach than being sad in the dugout he's sad in the dugout because he's not hitting well it, it's a cause and effect it's not he's and then it reverses it's the, it's a chicken and the egg is he sad because he's bad or is he bad because he's sad like it's 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 difficult to figure out with what i would like to think that a professional of his caliber who above everything else wants to win mm-hmm. would not let the fact that his teammates slash friends being traded away like ruin his entire season that yeah. just doesn't make sense yeah and it's also not like we're in the year 2023 where phone calls are a thing and text messaging and social media is a thing <laughs> yeah, that like, you can easily just the... go see them like yes yeah and it's just, and it's not like vlad also grew up in baseball where he saw a lot of like pe- people that his dad played with just leave like that his dad was really cool with and he, he's he knows that it's a business and he said that when teo and lourdes got traded originally and now people are just kind of putting just find a reason why he's bad and it's all now because he's sad his friends are gone mm-hmm. and it's it's definitely it's way more than that it is way more than that and i i mean we might as well get into it because vladdy is one of our topics and i think that if it was obvious what was wrong it would have already been fixed because this is probably jen would you say this is the biggest slump of vladdy's career yeah i th- i think so uh, he's gone through it before but this seems to be the most sustained uh you know and it's it's affecting him defensively too right like this is the whole thing right now yeah and it's you know people keep bringing up his his baseball savant page which shows a fair amount of red right the hard hit balls the exit velocity this and that but there's so little to show for it i mean how many games has it been since he hit a home run does hasn't had one at home uh you know hitting with runners in scoring position his approach is is terrible and it's at bat after at bat after at bat he can't seem to get the ball off you know up into the air and there really is you know at this point like i wonder like are, are too many people in his ear about it um is it now just like that chicken and egg but you know the more the more he struggles, the 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 more it's grinding him down. The the harder he tries, the worse it becomes. Yeah. Um, right. Yeah. Or 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 is Vlad not going to pan out to be a superstar? Yeah. The 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 the, the last seven months of the Bo Vlad debate has completely shifted. Hundred yeah. percent. Like it's yes. it's it's crazy how much that one that September that Bo had. And just going into that, it's now we went from, oh, Bo's nice. You could pay him if you want. You really need to pay Vlad to, oh, no, Bo's the guy you keep. And now people yeah. are like, yeah, Vlad is like, and But it's. And it it's, probably will switch again. Like, yeah, it'll it's like come, come September if Vladdy finishes with 35 home runs and he's hitting 290, we're all going to be like, yeah, it's fine. But it's, it's a matter of the power is just completely gone. He has, I think he has two home runs in the last like, Maybe Vladdy, Vladdy hasn't hit a home run in 12 games and hasn't had a multi-RBI game since May 23rd. So 
not only is so he not almost. hitting home runs, yeah, when so he does, there's nobody on. And I think yeah. that I think those multi RBIs came off of a, a position player because it was that great. Yeah, yeah it was that. Yep. That was which doesn't really say it. It doesn't say anything. Like he's it's just it's just disappointing because the the worst and best thing that could happen to Vlad was 2021. He's now set himself up for you need to be Aaron Judge, Mookie Betts, Freddie Freeman a level of hitter. And if yeah. you're if you're 850, you're like, eh, it's disappointing. Like, but if it's 850 for 99% of baseball, no, that's a really good year. But if for Vlad, it's oh, but you bat you had almost over a thousand OPS in 2021. What happened to that guy? And is it is it because of the minor league ballparks that they played in for two thirds of that season? Maybe I don't know. But uh, now I saw a really interesting stat to that, uh, Connor. And basically, there were those would be home runs uh, in twenty. Like I, I think it was. I saw the same. I saw it too. Yeah. And I'm going to screw up the stat, but it was something like ninety five percent of his home runs were home runs in. 20 out of 30 ballparks minimum in that. Okay. So I, I, I think that kind of disproves a little bit that theory. Okay. Now that's, yeah. uh, that said, yeah. that said, uh, Vladdy is slumping so badly. And I think all of it, I think everyone in chat feels the same way. I know the three of us are probably on the same page. I have no doubt in my mind, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. could still and probably will, if this team's a playoff team, still carry this team for a month at some point in this season. Mm-hmm. You know, like he has the ability. We've seen it happen before. My concern is, is this slump becoming something that he might not fully pull out of for the season? You know, like, is this something where he's going to need to freaking take an off season to reset? I'm not worried about his career. I think Vladdy's always going to be an above average player and have stints where he's godlike. But boy, oh boy, this team, like, especially with Manoa, needing to be sent down. They need these core players that they have in place that they weren't worried about when they started to change the outfield defense and change the way this core is, is configured, right? They, they, you know, this front office sat down and was like, Vladdy's not a problem. Manoa's not a problem. Bichette's not a problem. We can count on these three guys. And I mean, right now. (laughs) Yeah. And if, if you told me at the beginning of the season to this point, uh, Brandon Belt, Kevin Kiermaier, and Whit Merrifield would be having pretty average to above average seasons. I'd be like, oh, we're leading the AL East by five, six games and not fourth place, not even in the playoff spot. But that's where we are because Matt Chapman, what happened? That's that's another one. He's he's now one of the worst hitters in baseball. Like he's it, it's ridiculous. And then like Kirk hit. I just small tangent. I'm I was fully onto the I'm okay. I'm okay with the Dalton Varsho for Moreno and Think Tank. I but I was more of you you sell high on Kirk, and we're mm-hmm. clearly seeing he's still not hitting to the level that we th- thought he was be going to be able to, and he's not come around. Danny Jansen's been hurt a lot of the time. Uh, Vladdy's been struggling. Other than Whit Merrifield, you're getting nothing out of Santiago Espinal and Kevin Mizio for the most part. Uh, you don't have a bench, like really. Um, and then another thing with the hitting is, did you guys know that in percentage of pulling the ball, the Blue Jays are second worst in baseball? Wow. They are second worst in baseball in pull percentage. And 
for and Danny Jansen really helping that. Seriously, and like now <laughs> that I'm like, we're dead last. Yeah, I, I, I like kind of figured that stat was like I knew they were bad at it, but I should realize how bad. And come to think of it, the only people that I can could see consistently pulling the ball in the air, Danny Jansen and Dalton Varsho. Mm-hmm. And those are the guys that have to because guys like what Merrifield don't have to, Bobachet doesn't have to. But when was the last time we saw a bat like a, um, other than the home run he had a couple days ago? When was the last time you saw Matt Chapman pull a fly ball for any success? I can't even remember, man. Yeah. Like, I can't even remember. Like, and that's like his whole thing. And and Vladdy is just hitting the ball straight and going thousand feet in the air. And it's just, it's yeah, it's in like I'm, and this is potentially moving off topic, but. Uh, the Blue Jays are also five and twenty-nine if the pitching staff allows more than four runs. Wow! Like I did not know that. That is not pretty. That's ridiculous. So you're yeah. you're forcing your pitching staff to basically pitch perfect every night, and that's not going to happen, as we clearly saw today. Like, because if you told me the Blue Jays were going to score seven runs, I'd be like, okay, they probably won, but no, it was an off day. And that's just what's going to happen with this team. They never connect at one point. And it's very disappointing. So we're going to go to chat really quick here. Just a heads up to everyone in chat. Uh, If you do a super chat, we will eventually address this topic. So a big thank you to Michael Borland, who sent us $6.99. I know that it took us about 20 minutes to get to this, Michael. Apologies for the uh, delay here, but uh, we are at it now. He says... Is the James Click hiring now becoming more relevant? I got to imagine if things continue and the playoffs are missed, Atkins is gone. And I know we've talked about this a couple times uh, on long tosses over 2023. So I'm going to go to you here, Jen. I, I really am curious your thought on... If Shapiro and Atkins are connected at the hip, and I know we have touched on this a few times before, do you feel like if Mark Shapiro's on the hot seat, like Atkins, they're not so close that Atkins, he'd go down with the ship, right? Like Atkins is legitimately in the hot seat here. It's hard to see Shapiro in the hot seat because of the renovations that he's undertaking, right? And so I don't think Rogers is going to, you know, throw him overboard in the midst of that. I think he's here until that renovation is completed. Um, So I think Shapiro's job is completely safe. With regards to, I mean, who hired James Click, right? How was he brought in? Why was he brought in? It does feel like that was, you know, to sort of hedge some bets and we've got somebody kind of waiting in the wings. I've maintained that if they miss the playoffs, Ross Atkins could be out of a job. I I have maintained that because I think, I think we have enough data at this point to kind of take a look at it, right? The team was built one way and it didn't succeed. They sort of retooled, got more left-handed got more focused on defense, supposedly, got more focused on the little things. And this is how the team is now performing. Like the results are not better. They're not, this is not going well, right? And it's and it's funny to say that it's not going well when what they're sitting a game or a half game out of, of, of a wild card spot. 
but this team should not be out of a spot, yeah. right? The expectations all around were that this team could potentially vie for the division, but would absolutely be in a wild card spot. And the fact is, is that they're not. So I really don't see how Atkins couldn't be in the hot seat if they don't make the playoffs. Yeah. I think I think three teams especially are the reason the Blue Jays are where they are. The Rays starting 37 and 5 or whatever they do. <laughs> yeah. Baltimore being real. They are real now. Yeah. We yeah. all thought they were going to be okay, they'll probably be a lot better. No, they're real. Like they they have put themselves on the map and they have a lot more prospects coming which Blue Jays don't really have. And then the team that we played today, Texas. They a lot of people thought they were going to be better. They are they basically built are built how the Blue Jays were built. They basically bought mm-hmm. they bought the pitching. They brought up a lot of the homegrown guys themselves, and they brought in a couple key free agents and guys like Corey Seager and Mark Simeon. They're built the same, and we're seeing it work. And it's yeah. now, and and I think we, if we're not in the AL East, I think we have a lot more faith in the team. But it's because you're in the AL East and you're Red Sox bad against the AL East this year. <laughs> I I contend though, and, and I just wonder because it's you know an alternate universe where this question exists. But if the Blue Jays were not in the AL East, would this team be the team that it is? Like in other words, would they have assembled this team and spent this amount of money? If they were in the Central, would this would ownership have spent this amount of money? And is this the group of guys that they would have assembled? I don't know that this is the team they're fielding in a different division. I think at least three players aren't here. And I think George Springer is not here. Kevin Gosman's not here. And I don't think Jose Barrios is here. And just given that, like, because a lot of those central teams, they're just homegrown talent, a lot of them. And it's not panning out. And for the Blue Jays, it's just, uh, it's just so frustrating to talk about this team for more than five minutes. But uh, the the other thing I want to go to about, about Ross Atkins is, when he, when, when Shapiro and Atkins came in, the narrative was that they were going to relative, you know, do a relatively quick rebuild and we're going to put together a sustainable contender, but there's nobody really in the farm system. There's no one that they've really drafted and developed. And right now, if we're looking ahead to the trade deadline, what trade capital do they really have? And I think that's a failure that could be looked at. Yeah, they got they got the first half right. It was a clear, it was a quick rebuild. Yeah, like, like, mm-hmm. but that yeah. But now that I'm I'm we're sitting here and I'm thinking, Aurelvis Martinez is like your best position player prospect. Maybe Addison Barger, but we did like he kind of burst on the scene. You're not trading Barriera or Tiedemann. And other than that, if you want to go out and get the bigger, like bigger fish, a la a Marcus Stroman, if he doesn't want to resign, you're going to give up a lot. Basically, you're going to basically end your farm system again, which is not what you want. And a big reason of why the farm system is the way it is, a lot of the guys are already here. And and yeah. now it's Vlad, Kevin, Bo, uh, Manoa, a lot of like a lot of your bigger guys were are now here and are supposed to be doing what you're what you're seeing from them but it's just the next crop because like you look at the astros they lost just think of the people they've lost over the years they lost george Springer, they lost carlos correa they and then they gained jordan alvarez kyle tucker and 
that entire pitching staff and Jeremy Pena. They, they had a system in place to build up everything. And the Jays right now don't because say, say Bo Bichette leaves, who is your shortstop? Is, is it a Robles Martinez? Is, is it Addison Barger? We don't know. Like it, it's, it's, it's tough- Santiago Espinal. <laughs> oh boy. Yay. When, and if, and probably when Matt Chapman leaves, who's your third baseman? Like you're, you're kind of sitting with your hands between your legs and you're like, Oh, cool. We have Santiago Espinal back at third base every day, unless you pay somebody. Which I, and really how this all plays out is going to be what decides Rockcast, uh, Ross Atkins fate. Uh, another super chat here from 20 legend. So thanks for that 20 legend. He says, I'd like to see Atkins gone. He's not an impressive general manager. He's about as average as you can get. James click would be excellent. Now, for those of you who don't know, James click was acquired in the off season. He was fired and let go by the world series winning Houston Astros in 2022. Him and Jim crane had some problems. Jim crane, the owner of the Houston Astros. I can't remember a world series winning general manager ever being let go. So great on the front office of the blue Jays to kind of target that kind of experience and bring him in. Uh, It does make me wonder though, if Atkins is going to, I I don't think Atkins would be completely irresponsible, but I do wish to, to just remind everyone of what Alex Anthopoulos pulled off with his back against the wall I don't think Ross Atkins is going to go out quietly and I could be completely wrong. Maybe he does nothing at the trade deadline. Maybe that's what winds up being what gets him fired is a lack of, of laying the groundwork that needs to be laid. But I really do wonder the idea of bringing James click up. Like, do you hire somebody's replacement? It almost seems too obvious. Where are you guys at on this? Like, Jen, do you think James Click is a viable option or do you think he's more just buying time until he goes to another organization as the president? (laughs) Oh, you're muted, Jen. Hmm. Jen, are... Connor, are you hearing her? No, I'm not. Oh, Jen, you're muted. (laughs) <laughs> whoops there you go <laughs> from the top Scott you thought he like completely so demolished enthusiastic. I didn't even want to interrupt you I'm like wow she's going to her here whatever she's saying <laughs> I'm very sorry um I have no idea what I said um James Click. I you know what like it does it looks like an obvious right now it looks obvious I think because Atkins is somebody who we're questioning, right? And I go back to whose decision was it to bring in James Click and why? I think the why, it's very questionable. I don't even know if that question has been asked. And I think if media did ask, I don't think they'd get a straight answer either. I think they we did, like someone did ask a question when he first got hired. I think what you said, it was the generic, oh, we just wanted another great baseball mind in. But let's Mm -hmm. be honest with ourselves here. For James Click, he's just biding his time. And for for the higher-ups, for the Blue Jays, it's, oh, if Ross fails, we just have the guy here. And it's a balancing act of what happens first, Ross or James Click leaving. And 
I really do hope that James Click is the next GM of the Blue Jays because he he was with the he was the general manager for the Astros for about three years, three four years, and they can he was a part he was a bit half of the the long ALCS run that they had as a man, as a general manager, and that's no small feat. Granted, a lot of the pieces that were on that team were already there, but he did bring up guys like like Jeremy Jeremy Pena. He did make trades for Christian Vasquez and Trey Mancini last offseason or last trade deadline, excuse me. And he's, he knows what it's like to have a world uh, world series contending team and a world series winning team. Something that Ross Atkins, well, he did get a team to a world series. They blew a three, one lead in that world series and didn't never really won it. So it's, I'd love James click as, as the GM of the blue Jays. And to go back to one more point, Scott, that you brought up with, with Anthopolis, and when his back was against the wall, I think I attended a pitch talks that year uh, with Ross Atkins. And it was, I believe, at the end of the season, towards the end of the season. And based on what he said, I think he knew at that trade deadline that he was his days, he was done. Right. Like, I don't think he just thought his back was against the wall. I actually think he knew he was out of there. And so why not push the chips all in? Because it's not going to, no matter how this plays out, I'm gone anyways. And unless Atkins feels the same way, I don't know that this is going to be a particularly good trade deadline. I don't think it will be. Um, and, and you know, I think it all depends now on whether or not they make the playoffs. I, I think even regarding the trade deadline, if, if, if the, big, the biggest problem is the offense, what's the definitive position you can say, oh, we need to upgrade that uh, instead of the guys that are already here? Because you're not, you're not going to get a new third baseman, regardless of what happens with Matt Chapman. You're not getting a new shortstop. You're not going to get a new outfielder to replace any of them. You're going to hope that Vlad- there's no definitive spot where you can say, this is a guy that we need to go get as a position player, and he will dramatically improve our offense, which is the biggest problem. It's the guys, the guys that are here right now, are going to be the reason that you make or miss the playoffs. And it's not someone that you bring in. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Because last year, even when we did bring in with Merrifield, he was just an auxiliary piece. He wasn't, he wasn't the reason that the Jays continued to have success when he was here. It was because of guys like Teoscar, Vladdy, Bo. And, and that's the thing. The every upgrade I think that comes at the deadline is going to be pitching. If there is any to begin with. And Honestly, the pitching, they have a top 10 bullpen ERA in baseball. So it's, it's, this is, I think this is the first time in my lifetime where I can say the, the pitching is not the problem with the Blue Jays. The mm-hmm. offense is the issue, which is very scary to considering like it's, and, and the trade Ross Atkins needs to, even if he wanted to do a, a Hail Mary swing and get a, like a market, like the top, like Marcus Stroman and Jock Peterson and one, uh, just for examples. Yeah. Where's, where's the prospects? to do it if 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 he it does think it's a hail mary say goodbye to ricky tiedemann and Robles martinez like and then if it if it fails which ultimately anthopolis did fail you're stuck with your 2017 2018 2019 blue jays all over again and i don't think a lot of people want to live through those years again does anybody think that there's any way that this team is a seller at the deadline even if they're going into the deadline almost at 500, let's say they're three games out of a wild card. Do you think there's any way? Not when they're trying to sell season's tickets for next year at a 
drastically increased price. I saw that. That that's a re- that's real. Yeah. Yes. Oh man. I, I think it would need to take them being eight or nine games out of a playoff spot to even consider them being a seller. If they're within five games, there's no sh- shot that they're going to do that. And do you do you think Connor? And I'm I'm sorry to interrupt you no, here. I, I'm just curious if you think that when you look at this team, like we're talking about it, like it's a complete in shambles. There's still a good foundation here, yeah. right? Even if Atkins can't take the ball and get us across the the field goal the, the goal line you can tell i'm a real football fan here yep. uh, <laughs> but you know if 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 atkins can't get us to the promised land this doesn't like do you feel like we need to rebuild if james click comes in or do you think this is more of a let's see what somebody else can do type of idea I, it's got to be a let's see what somebody else can do because as you said, this team has won 90 games for the last two years, and there, there hasn't been a lot of t- – this is the most turnover we've had in the roster from year to year, and I think it's it's just a matter of retooling. It's not – obviously, you're not blowing up. You're not getting rid of Vlad or Bo. You're not getting rid of guys like George Springer, and you're not getting rid of guys like Kevin Gogman and Jose Barrios. It's a matter of what it, what do you really want this team to do because the team that had all of the power and no defense – while granted it was a headache to watch in the field sometimes, it worked better than this is working right now. And mm-hmm. this year it's all about the quote, I hate little things. I hate hearing that now. It's, and now that they're, they're all about the little things, the little things, I guess the little things are a bunch of ground ball double plays and not running and having Kevin Kiermeyer make a great diving catch every once in a while. Like that's, if that's the little things, we're a long ways away. And it's just it's so it, the, the biggest like thing is if the Blue Jays were doing this, like where they were middling, it's just the fact that they're fourth in the AL East. Mm-hmm. Like if, if the Orioles were, were just as good, if not worse, I feel like we'd be looking at this a lot more. And, and it's the fact that they can't win a game in the AL East to save their life. Like they can't win a series. They, they did it against Tampa, which was nothing short of a miracle. And, and now you're sitting here June 18th. You're kind of, it's a weird air. It's a weird time in with this ball club, because do you bring, do you think about getting rid of guys like Kevin Kiermeyer, even though you love him, he's on a one-year deal. Do you think about getting rid of guys like Brandon Belt on a one-year deal? Like it's, it's a matter of trying to figure out what this identity is really about. And it's, I think the whole, the whole idea of the little things was essentially John Schneider trying to beat the fun and beat the the seriousness into the team because he John Schneider echoed like when he was officially announced he echoed a lot of sentiments of fans that were like oh this team has too much fun they don't they're not serious enough and John Schneider just took oh they're not serious enough and hammered it down until it was like ingrained in your skull but now it's to the point where you're you're serious but you're not good you're, you're not a good as good as we think you are and that's where you get your your problems that you have now this team is 32 and 17 against non-al east teams they are six and six against the rays and the yankees they are one and nine against the red Sox and orioles can any can either of you think of 
a scenario like this before with another Blue Jays team where two teams are literally taking all the fun and all the wind out of the sails of one team? Well, and the Red Sox for crying out loud. I know, I mean, the fucking yeah. Red Sox. I, I was going <laughs> to The Red Sox, they, they have more wins this year already against the Blue Jays than they had all of last year. Like, what? And that's, but, that's the thing. That's the thing is the Red Sox. I'm sorry, Jen, but the Red Sox last year, <laughs> they were a really good team outside the AL East. They were just historically awful. And now it kind of looks like the Blue Jays might be that team this year, like, which is a travesty. <laughs> which is a travesty. <laughs> like, it's Agreed, Connor. no better way to put it. <laughs> um, so if you look at this team, would either of you be surprised if they still won 93 games and everything was just fine? They're the second wildcard team again this year. No, that, and that's the thing. <laughs> that's the that's the thing. It's like if they could they could finish second in this division, and we'd be like, oh yeah, that's what we expected to happen. But sitting here, I feel like we have this every year with the Blue Jays. We had this last year. If I, I remember, we the same conversation it was Vladdy is slumping. This team can't hit with runners in scoring position. And eventually, they just figured it out. And and now I think you have to let them figure it out, as painful as that is to say. I think I think the bigger concern at the moment is the fact that we're almost we're we're we're, we're talking towards the end of June, right? Mm-hmm. Like like we are closer to July than we are to the beginning of June, and rather than things starting to click they've gotten worse than they were and i and 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 there doesn't seem to really be any signs that it's coming together and i think that's the concerning part right is that yes you do see flashes of whatever from whomever but there's nothing that is sort of sustained it's not like it's a you know several at bats that are really good strung together or one player, you know, seems to be getting it over several games. There's these brief flashes and then the abyss. And, you know, I don't know. It definitely feels more cumbersome. Yeah. Cause you're right. We had these same conversations last year about how the offense was underperforming. And here we are saying that the offense is underperforming, but this seems to be going on longer, Mm -hmm. right? There is nobody stepping up and carrying this team on their back. And I just don't know yet where that's going to come from. I hope that it does come. Like I'm not sitting here saying, oh my, you know, forget this, blah, blah, blah. But I, I don't even know. I don't even think I have expectations anymore. Jen, you are so nailing it. I, I like you're putting into words how I feel pretty much, which is like this, this weird in the middle. It's tough to get behind this team. They'll show flashes of, you know, like they just went 10 and three up until that, that Minnesota and, and Texas series here, you know, like it's, it, they were looking good but you know what hasn't happened all year long is the offense hasn't clicked. And I, I, I try to be as unbiased as possible and take in the big picture. And I know I, I always look to, to last year and look at where they were at. I mean, it's not like this team was better at this point 
last year. I mean, we, I was at that Seattle series where they lost four in a row right before they fired Charlie Montoyo in July. I mean, they were four games above 500. They were six games out of a wild card at that point. So I, as What's much the- as this team is frustrating, I, I just feel like this keeps happening year after year where they like pull it out in the end. And I don't know if that's a good way of going about building a ball the team. The problem is, is that pulling it out in the end also requires other teams to fall off. Right. So there's a lot of ifs that have to happen, right? If the blue Jays figure it out and if team X, Y, and Z, you know, fall off then this will happen right yeah and mm-hmm. and, and i and, and i really don't like putting you know playoff aspirations or whatever in the control of other teams and what they do you know and right now the truth is is that the jays are simply not taking care of their own business that's not what they're doing and you know it's one thing to get beat by better teams but they are often beating themselves and that's that's problematic what is the longest what is their longest win streak this season um i want to say seven i was gonna say about like six or seven okay so even oakland has done that right yes. oh my uh even the reds the reds have uh, eight now they just won today again they right like stop so it connor the, <laughs> the worst teams can string together seven or eight wins in a row. Mm -hmm. Which goes to show this, like if the Jays do that again, if the Jays win the next six games in a row, which isn't that crazy. I know everyone's down after this Texas series and Minnesota series, but I mean, they're playing the Marlins and the A's. I know we just talked about how the A's won seven in a row, but finally, you know, as far as we're finally, like schedule wise, we're kind of heading into the softest spot that we've had since early April. Uh, but I'm also with you, Jen, in that if they did win six in a row, I don't know if I'd feel any better. <laughs> like, I guess it would depend on how they do it, but this offense has been so stifled for so long. And even over that 10 and three stretch that they just went on, it's not like at any point they were killing it. Right. It's not like at any point we were winning eight, two games or or being down by that's another thing we haven't seen all season long. Right. This team does not come back when they're down. They just don't. Yeah, that's and I think I think what you mean is they don't come back from like three or four. They've done like one or two, but it's a matter of all of that. And another big thing is if I told you guys the, the Blue Jays were a top 10 team in OPS. In the league. Like, would you believe me? Probably not because they're not really good, but they're seventh in yeah. the entire league and they just can't hit with guys in scoring position. So that's, that's the biggest thing there. If they, Oh, can... they're third in, they're third in batting average. There's they're they're fourth and on base percentage. Like their, their numbers make no sense. <laughs> yeah. Their numbers make no sense. Okay, so uh, we're being joined by Joel here. Joel, thank you so much for I see two for making... of him. Yeah, we do see two of you here. I don't know if you <laughs> he's got his phone up and his his laptop. I think. Hey, Joel. Hey, hello, sir. How you doing, buddy? Um, funny. I uh, I was all ready to go, and then I opened up my laptop and realized I didn't have my uh, 
charging cable for it, so I'm on my phone. <laughs> well, we Joel came all the way from Slave Lake, Alberta, to make it back to Edmonton to try and catch the end of this. So we appreciate this, Joel. Uh, and you came in the perfect time. Michael Borland has a super chat here. Michael donated six ninety nine, and he says Strowman has uh, a player option for twenty one million next year. I hear the concern from Connor, but you won't need to sell the farm. Joel, I'll, I'll throw this one to you. Would you be interested in a Marcus Strowman acquisition at the trade deadline? Wow, that's throwing you right in the deep end, buddy. <laughs> throwing you right in the deep end, Marcus. Right now, if we're going to make a big acquisition that helps us win, I, I, I guess I'm going to be right? for it. Right? Oh, like I, I, it's a situation. It's it's weird now because at the same time with Manoa out, I I feel bad because like. Trevor Richards, who is, who's been pitching well, like not necessarily the last time out as an opener, but now he's put in a position where he's that opener, right? And we can't really use him any other time during, you know, he's not, he's, his, his job is to throw three innings of opener and then every five games, right? So to, to get a starter and then to be able to take those bullpen pieces and kind of move them back to the bullpen to re-up the bullpen, you know, that's a, that's a nice, um, op, you know, and you always need more starting pitching, right? Starting pitching is something you always need, but I'm, yeah, we do need a bat. So it's, um, the question of like, would I be interested in Strowman? Yes. I think I'm interested in other things first. Joel, obviously this was a disappointing loss. Uh, um, oh, that was a tough one. Yeah. The team is now 39 and 34. I know William in chat here, there's a lot of negativity, obviously. And, and he says, for a team with the Manoa situation, obviously Alec Manoa being sent down, uh, the anomaly that is the runners in scoring position, how is the conversation about tearing down and rebuilding this 39 and 34 team? Now, as disappointing as this loss was, where are you at on the idea of this not being the team. Do you think that there is a rebuild in the future or do you think we're a long ways away from that? And, and Ross Atkins is more on the hot seat than anything. Yeah. Um, rebuild is, is really tough because it's, it's a situation where if you're rebuilding, then you're probably making a firm decision on that youth on, on Guerrero and, and Bichette and rebuild seems like, letting them go maybe trying to grab one but i doubt either of them want the idea of rebuild thrown in their face right now like oh, that's not gonna no. be a, <laughs> that's not really a selling point for either of them. hey trust me we're gonna give you a lot of money but it's gonna be four years of rebuilding i don't so it's it's kind of a situation where if you're gonna say we're gonna rebuild it's probably at the cost of dealing Bo and vladdy to you know facilitate that rebuild right so I, I can't say that I'm there yet. I still have the hopes and dreams that these are long-term Blue Jays for the foreseeable future. Um, yes, Atkins, I would say, is on the hot seat. Um, I, we've brought it up many times before that we've seen teams do the drastic turnaround, the Nationals, the Braves, that, that trade deadline can be everything. I think that that's kind of the case here. We had a slow trade deadline last year. We don't, I don't think everybody was truly happy in the pieces that we acquired now, but they're more in a spot now where like they have to prove that this is a 
this has this team has to get in the playoffs or you're going to be making moves or Atkins has got to be gone right you, if you you've already made the the moves with your players you've already made drastic shifts on how you want to win as an organization and if that falls through and and you don't win then the onus has to come back to somebody in the front office and we've already done the coach thing so I think next step is you got to be general manager, right? Speaking of coaches, and obviously the coaching staff is not on the field. They're not making the plays. They're not getting hits. It's not up to them to play the baseball. Now, that said, I don't think there's any way John Schneider is on the hot seat. I think if he is moved on from, it is probably because Ross Atkins has been moved on from, and there's a big shakeup amongst the coaching and front office within this Jays organization. That said, I do think it is possible that Grandma Martinez may be a sacrificial lamb this year. Does anyone see that as a possibility, Jen? I know I I see you shaking your head here. Yeah, and I've said it before. Um, I think think when a season is going – is as lackluster as this one has been so far. And it is, you can kind of pinpoint it right now. It's the offense that is really letting this team down. And you're seeing multiple guys have bad approaches game after game after game. I think at some point, rightly or wrongly, you are looking at the hitting coach and saying it's time for a change. And you know what? It might really be a time for a change, mm-hmm. it's part, right? Like it might actually be that I've been sitting here. And, and even before we came on um, just earlier today, and, and we've talked about it before, like something's got to give. So whether it's shaking up the lineup and giving some, a different look, a try and just seeing how that pans out, or new hitting coach, this or that. I mean, obviously firing somebody is drastic. Like we are talking about a person's livelihood here, right? But something has to give at some point. And because we're not seeing a turnaround yet, we're not seeing like flashes of so-and-so is about to come out of their sump and -and so-and-so and so-and-so. I really do think you know, depending on where they're at come the trade deadline, I think I think he could be. I think he absolutely could be let go. The best comment on this, Jen, is 20 legend says Guillermo Martinez is still the hitting coach, question mark, question mark, question mark. <laughs> well, and you know what? And I've said this before. I said it about Schneider, um, you know, and 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 it applies mostly to Schneider, the comment that I made, because you know, several of these players have been with Schneider since Buffalo, right? But sometimes you do need a new voice, right? Sometimes, whether Mm -hmm. it's from a teacher, a coach, a therapist, you've learned everything that they have to teach you. And then in order to move on from there or to get better from there, you need somebody else's perspective, You need somebody else's voice in your ear. And maybe there are some guys on this team that are at that point. And and, and we we even saw it in, sorry, Scott, but we saw it in spring training. The Blue Jays brought in Victor Martinez and they brought in Edwin Encarnacion. Mm -hmm. Where have they gone? They're like, they were there for a couple weeks and by all accounts, they were really good with the hitters. And now it's just, oh, hey, Guillermo, you're back again doing the same stuff and it's not working again. And I feel like 
you should have at least kept them around, like have them have them in people's ears. But now it's you're at the point where Guillermo, I think, definitely is on the block because if you think about it, a lot of this, uh, it feels like anyway, a lot of this uh, coaching staff minus John Schneider and Don Mattingly have been here forever, like longer than even Charlie. I think in the case of Pete Walker, that at least, but it's. Like, like Jen said, you need new people in your ear because I think uh, with Vlad, Boa, Kevin, and John Schneider, I think they go even further than Buffalo. Like, because they, John Schneider's been there pretty much the entire time that they've been there, like up the yeah. ranks. So it's been a lot longer than probably maybe six, seven years of hearing the same thing from the same guy. And now that he's the manager of the major league team, it's, there's no getting rid of him, essentially, unless he get, unless you decide to absolutely stink up the joint and get him fired. Connor, Mike says here, put Victor Martinez and Edwin Encarnacion on the roster. <laughs> Seriously. Like, at this point, because Brandon Belt's injured, you might as well just get one of them in the DH spot. Give Donnie Baseball right? a bat. I'm pretty sure he can still swing it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so there's a really interesting conversation going on in the chat right now about what happens if Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and Bo Bichette make it apparent to Rogers and this ownership group and the front office that they are going to go to to free agency no matter what. Uh, would you say, Joel, that if that is the scenario and they know that there's no possible way that they can lock these two core players up, uh, is it is it kind of uh, malpractice, for lack of a better word, for them not to move them for assets? Like, yeah. Well, you know how much I love Bo. Like I've been uh, yeah. a Bo. Like I want Bo. I want him on this team. I want him forever. I like. I'm going to have a really emotional day when that guy leaves this organization. It's going to be a really, really bad day for me. Um, they have to move. They can't let those two walk away. It's not like Lourdes and 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 moving Teo. They moved those guys. They got replacements back, but the somebody will pay an exorbitant amount for Bo. Somebody's going to pay an exorbitant amount and you have to hope that your next generational talent can come from what you can pull back from those two. And you have to, I don't want to say get rid, but if that's the button that they're going to press, you can't, you can't just let their, and I mean, obviously expire. this is worst case scenario. Oh, that's right? yes, absolute yeah. worst case scenario. Right. And, um, a turnaround can very much happen, right? Like a turnaround can very much happen. Um, th this is a theme where the offensive numbers are, they, they drive you insane because they hit well. They hit well for average. They get on base. They do things that they should do. And then their runners in scoring position numbers are what, like 27th or something. It's just, yeah. So it's like, why in that situation are you following? If, if you have, the core elements of a good offense to me, it seems like a hitting coach to go back to the Martinez thing. It's like, you have to do something. So their mindset is slightly different when they got a runner on second base, they're shortening up They're whatever the case may be, whatever they're doing now is not cashing in runs and they should be. So yeah, it's, they have the core of an offense that can produce. They have to shift something about there because as if they can get the runners in scoring position working, then they're right back in the hunt of this. You know, they're the, this is an offense that can produce enough. And when Barrios, Bassett, aside from today, when the core of that starting pitching can work with the offense that we have, but it's just 
we do two thirds of the work. And then the last thing that you have to do to score that run, we don't do. And I mean, it's, yeah. And, and to that point, I think sports and tweeted it out a couple days ago with first and second, nobody out. The blue Jays are batting 200. Yeah. Like that's, you can't win with that. Like that's, that's ridiculous. And yeah, like Joel said, it's mindset change. Get, get new faces in there, which, which is what you thought you were getting with Don Mattingly. But you got to get somebody to tell them something different because clearly it's not working. And the truth is, when you look at the free agent acquisitions that this team made in the offseason, they've been home runs. Kevin Kiermeyer looks fantastic. Brandon Belt. I mean, yeah, he's injured right now because that's how every, I mean, I think it was Devil Boy that even said it. Every Brandon Belt heater ends in him on the IL, unfortunately, and that's kind of what happened here. But he did split up this right-handed lineup and has been more or less what we were hoping, maybe not quite as much power, but for the most part, for $9 million, good signing, right? Then they went out and got Chris Bassett. I know he's had a couple stinkers in a row, but we know who Chris Bassett is, and he's a solid pitcher, and where would we be without him this season? So it's not even like they've been stinker of moves. It just feels like this team still, here we are, mid-June, and they have no identity. Joel, is there a solution? Like when you look, what would you do right now as general manager, Joel? Is there something that you would do? Home run jacket. Home run jacket. That, like it's all psychological then. Jen, are you on on that too? I mean, maybe not the home run jacket because there are different players on this team from last year, but come up with something. As a team, right? So when you are flying out of Texas today, okay, come up with something by the time they land in Florida have something right something to rally behind. <laughs> like. uh you know I, I I don't know and and you know do I think that that is going to all of a sudden turn around what they're doing with runners in scoring position no I don't I don't think the reason they're batting 200 with runners in scoring position and no outs it's because, you know, they don't have a home run jacket to put on if they hit a home run. I don't think anybody's at the plate saying, God damn it, you know what, I would hit a home run, but there's no jacket. And so it's just not fun. I'm not going to do it, right? I don't think they should have to have a shtick, but again, it's getting out of that funk. We that Something different has to happen. And I do mm-hmm. think some of that difference has to be lineup shakeup and so forth, like actual tangible things on the field. But if having something that kind of brings this group together, they come up with it as a team, whatever the idea is, if that's just going to kickstart a little bit of a of fun, do it. Yeah. And you know what? Like, listen, and I, I wish to preface this with saying, I don't think Spencer Horowitz is the end all and be all and solution to these problems. However, his enthusiasm out of the gate when he made his major league debut today was infectious smiles all around people were loving it. I know they blew it in the end. So maybe this is just uh, (laughs) a big shit sandwich. I'm trying to put a silver lining on here, but even the way they handled the Horowitz call up was weird to me, right? You call him up and then you sit him for two days in a row, especially when he probably should have been the call up instead of Ernie Clement, right from the beginning. Like, 
you, I, I don't understand why your first baseman DH goes down and you've got a left-handed hitting first baseman DH in AAA that has been tearing the cover off the ball and you bring up your second base, third baseman who hasn't been getting a lot of playing time. Because, <laughs> because they because what they thought was they were they would turn their second base utility guy who also can play first base into just first base when Kevin Biggio and be like, okay, now we just have the guy that Cap we have guy that took Kevin's spot now. But yeah, you're right. Horowitz should have been up here the entire time. That belt's been gone. It's it's the process of things that this year has been rocky to say the least. Like I know Deb in chat here says this might be controversial, but is Vladdy slump pulling everyone down? And I think the tiptoeing around Vladdy to try not to discourage him, awkward energy. Uh, Joel, we talked a lot about Vladdy already before you hopped on here. So I'll, I'll let you start on this one. I don't think it's a controversial take at all. Vladdy slumps, that, Vladdy slumping, like as the, the, the cog this offense was built around it is affecting everyone right deb's on to so, something yeah absolutely like he's he's an immovable like he, if you move him to 7th what does that do bo we moved to bo got moved to 7th last year they felt like hey we can move you down in the lineup to punish you for bad play Vladdy seems like he would struggle if you put him in seventh. That would like offend him more. Like his sensibilities would be the piss on. He's like, I'm a seven hitter now. Like it feels like his emotions, he's an emotional player. I, I think I sent you that text. I'm like, Vladdy is the type of guy who succeeds based off of, I, like, I don't think sitting down and trying to teach him baseball makes sense. It's like he, he is a naturally talented guy who goes up and when his heart is in it, he succeeds. You know, he's a, he's an emotional ball player. He's not so much a pro ball player, like a guy who's don't get me wrong. He makes incredible plays and he's always into it. But at the same time, like the fall off of his offense, this now where the caught stealings and the stolen bases and the mistakes on the base paths are getting worse, made an error today. So it's like, maybe it's starting to affect his defensive game. I, is it I, affecting everything? Is it is that still now permeating and coming into all aspects of the game? Right? Is is and and it's it is it's some the entire lineup. He carries this team. We've we've watched it happen. And when he's in the middle, and, and when you Edwin Encarnacion is on ball machine, double plays, double plays. But when he was on his back foot. When he was on his back foot and launching balls, then that kick seasons. And I feel like that type of thought process, what Vlad needs to get on his back foot. He needs to be more patient. What he's swinging at now, he, he's, he's got the world on his shoulders and he feels that because the lineup isn't able to carry him the way it used to, that it's ever more on his shoulders. So that slump hits him because he's in the, I think he's in the mindset where he has to do everything. You know, mm -hmm. not Bo's there, but with that lineup that we had the last two seasons, there was always somebody who seemed to be on fire to carry this team. Now it seems like Vladdy's in the mindset where I have to carry and it's really, it's really nagging on him. And the other thing I wanted to say was it's about him being that youthful player, right? Like he was the young guy. He was the kid. But now that all of those guys that he looked up to are gone, 
he's got to step into the position to be the veteran ball player at 24. He's got to kind of be the leader of this team, right? Because he's one of the longest tenured guys at 24. So it's a really weird position to put him in because it's like you got Chapman here, you've got Belt, you've got Kiermeyer, but Kiermeyer, health, not dependable. Belt, health, not dependable. Chapman has been slumping for seven weeks, right? So it's like you go to the new guys who come in and you're like, well, you're, I don't know if I can depend on you guys to carry. So it's like the guys that left, they would carry from occasion so it's yeah it's a situation where i think it's he feels like it's all on him his barrio is gone the neighborhood no longer exists yeah and i think to your point of leadership coming into the season the two guys that we would think are the de facto leaders of this team have been arguably the most disappointing and that's vladimir Guerrero jr and alec manoa and that's like they they were the leaders because they were always the outward facing they talked a lot of a crap they backed it up and now Mm -hmm. that it's they stopped talking, or in uh, Vladdy's case, he kind of did stop talking. It's it's now a matter of he needs to be the actual leader and not just a, oh, I'm good, and now it's you're going to follow. It's not a lead. He has, to, he has to lead by example as well as lead with, with words as well. And I think the lead by example part is the, the thing that he's struggling with. Because- Jen, would you – like, I'm just curious about George Springer. Like, Jen, they brought him in here to be the leader. Shouldn't this be his role? Yeah, it should be. Just going back to Vlad, he, I'm not inside his head. I have absolutely no idea what's going on. Okay. None of us do, but he isn't the only young, talented player who is expected to carry their team. He isn't. And there are other young, talented players that are performing better. Ronald Acuna Jr., for instance, right? And so I don't think we can just simply say it's because he feels he has the weight of the world on his shoulders with this team. There are other players, similar age, similar talent level, who are also in that same position, but they are currently getting it done and he is not. Um, So whatever is going on, You know, this is where the reason why the team has hitting coaches and sports psychologists and a high performance team and so on and so forth. Is it a matter of giving him a day off? Is it a matter of taking him aside and talking to him and saying, you know, you you are not expected to do everything all the time? Uh, and trying to take some of that pressure off? I really don't know, but he's been around the game his entire life. Right. And, and to me, in combination with the resources that are around him, he should be able to figure this out. And so I don't know why he has not yet been able to figure it out. Um, and, and going back, you know, cause I've seen some tweets about this. Is it all back to his wrist? Is he, is it, is there a possibility that he's still injured, that he never fully got over that injury and that it's affecting the way that he swings the bat, like a mechanical thing. I don't know, but if that is the case, then you need to sit him, right? You need to rehab him properly. And, And I don't know what it is. 
And Jen, I keep hearing that too, the injury speculation. And my initial reaction when I hear it is frustration and anger that if that is the case, that this has lingered for this long, what are they doing? What is Brady doing and what is the team doing? Exactly. Like that would be malpractice to use the word you used earlier. That would be absolute malpractice if they're allowing him to go out there when it's caused, if it's causing more damage or causing more harm than anything else. Now I have no idea. Maybe it has absolutely nothing to do with that, right? This is all just speculation we're trying to look at every angle from this as far as back to your original question that kicked all of this off about leadership yes george springer was brought in to be to take on that role absolutely handsomely for it yes yes exactly (laughs) he got an excellent contract to be the guy who has won a world series and you know to to be that voice in the clubhouse and there are other guys on this team who can also be that veteran presence yeah i think i keep going back to 2021 but the worst thing that happened to the leadership debate was the first two months of 2021 because you didn't see george springer because he was injured and vlad became the the mvp and now so everybody just shifted Oh, because George is the veteran, he's the leader too. Oh, Vlad's just the best player and he's going to lead the team. That was, that's kind of where it all shifted towards. And regardless of how George, George, I think doesn't appear to be an outward facing leader. He was just brought in because you were the free agent that won the world series a couple of years, like the multiple times and you've been successful. And I don't think, I think the, as far as leadership, I think the, the true leader that we had and let go was Marcus Simeon because Hmm. while I like, like George Marcus wasn't an outwardly like outspoken guy. He, he showed Bo Bichette, you put the work in every day, regardless of how you're doing and you will succeed. And now look at Marcus. He's just continued to be very good with the Texas Rangers. And now it's, it's permeating across that entire team. And so a lot of people thought we were going to get that back with Matt Chapman. Grant and but Matt Chapman didn't have the season that Marcus Simeon did with with the Blue Jays. No, so now no, like not even close. But it now falls on. It now goes back to George to be the guy who he's been. George's been performing lately. It's now the matter of you got to turn it up an extra level because someone else is 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 like slumping. And just to quickly go back on the wrist situation, the Blue Jays had a player in recent memory that had a wrist issue and was still a very productive hitter. Lord Escurial Jr. But his power also left last his year. His power also left, but we all would agree that Lourdes, Lourdes became a different hitter last year with, with, with the Blue Jays. He hit for a lot more average. He sprayed the ball all around the field. He sacrificed the power, obviously, and, and in Arizona, the power is back. And I think Vlad can do what Lourdes did, but better, because Vlad hits the ball harder than Lourdes. Yeah. Vlad is a better Vlad's a flat out better hitter than Lourdes. And if Vlad took Vlad's Lourdes, a flat out better hitter than almost everyone. Yes, and I exactly. Think that's where this frustration's coming. And he's from. not lacking for power. He's no. not. He's not he's, lacking for power. He's he is in the top percentiles for for exit velocity, for instance, right? But he's not the launch angle is a different matter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's that's always been the issue with Vlad is the launch angle because the one year that he finally did figure out the launch angle is 2021. And we saw what happened. But ever since then, the launch angle has gone down and down. Ground ball percentage has gone up. And he's just now 
he's malazing around uh, seven ninety to eight hundred OPS. Like, so we are going to move on from Vladdy, everyone. Yeah. But first, I would like to before we do, and I wish to uh, preemptively say, obviously, there are a pile of Latin American and Spanish speaking coaches within this system. There are still plenty of players of uh, Latin descent and, and Spanish speaking guys, but there are fewer than there were last year. Does, do you think that the diminished Spanish uh, presence could be affecting Vlad in any way? Who's obviously first language is Spanish and comfortable comfortability is, is around Latin American players. Or are we, am I digging way too deep into this? I completely agree. It's, it's a whole whole family thing for him and for him, not for everybody else. Not, not, this is specific to Vladdy, but Teo and Lourdes were like brothers to Vladdy. That was a brotherly thing that you saw there with those guys. But, Vladdy would get all like silly and Lourdes would grab him by the back of the hair and say, stop it, you idiot. And like slap him. Like they had that relationship of like, I'm your bigger brother and you fall in line. Don't be so stupid all the time. And like, but don't get me. Lourdes was a silly guy too. They were all silly. The tail in his spits, all of that stuff. Right. Like they all had something to bring you up. But at the same time, if you were too silly, they were like, you're, you're, it was like your brother could slap you in the face and say, stop being an idiot. Um, it's in a situation where I don't think Vladdy can stand up in front of everybody and take the room verbally. He can't say a speech to grab all the, the non-Latin speak, the non-Spanish speaking players. Like how does he verbally say, because he can't like his, his, his language isn't, he's not that strong of an English speaker yet. So, but he could grab the Moreno. He could grab Lourdes. He could grab Teo. He could grab all these Latin ball players, even Rowdy when he was there, right? And they speak Spanish to each other. Like that barrio was a group. It was a family neighborhood environment. And when you piece that out, piece that out, you you realize that you're like, oh, I'm I'm playing for money now. I was playing for my family before. I was I was playing for what I felt like was blood because Vladdy's 24. Sorry, my bad. My bad. Uh, Vladdy's 24, right? These guys he had known since he was 16. He came into this organization as a 16 year old. That's a third of his life are spent with these people. And when you take them away, baseball becomes something different to him. It was always this mm -hmm. one thing. And now it's new people. And it's like, well, do we vibe? Do, does my style mix with yours? Can I be myself with you? Or is this just a professional baseball team and we're all pros and let's go grab our lunchbox and go to work i do wish to clear something up really quick here too i know taco time says vlad probably should have learned english already i'm gonna say right now vlad knows english oh, i knows. think that he's just oh. uncomfortable maybe being a leader in english i'm bilingual that's, yeah, that's exactly what i'm saying yeah like i'm bilingual myself i speak french i read french i write french i am Lossy. not confident i am not confident in french and if i was in a scenario where i need to be a leader and present in French, <laughs> not no. happening, right? Even though, Jen, you could speak French to me all day and I will understand and I'll be able to communicate with you and I'll be able to get my thoughts across. But Salut, bonjour. You, oh, no. no. <laughs> <laughs> Très bien. No. <laughs> uh, so, I don't know. I, I did just wish to say that 
I, Vladdy does speak English. This isn't necessarily about the language as much as the comfortability around the the Spanish Brotherhood, as as Joel put it. Yeah, uh, Jenner, yeah. Connor, did you have anything to add here before we move on? Go ahead, Connor. Sorry, as, bud. Uh, no, you're good. As far as the, the Spanish speaking stuff, ninety nine percent, or like I'm going to say, like eighty five to ninety percent of Latin American players who don't appear to speak English, they speak English. They just don't want to be misquoted <laughs> in the media. That's that's literally it. And but but yeah, Joel's right. Like the whole idea of all of the Latin American players and being here, and even a Latin American coach or a manager that he had in Charlie. It was it was very easy. It was very like he was able to relax and, and have a good time with baseball and win. But he was able to also be like, OK, now I got to get serious. And now that obviously he still has Bo and a lot of guys that were he brought up Bo and Kevin and Espinal to some extent. It's it's now the matter of like Joel said, oh, this is purely just a business. He said that when when the two got traded, it's business. And now it's it's now more of a business to him. As opposed to, oh, this is just baseball, what I've done all my life, and I have a good time doing it. And now he looks around and sees Dalton's from Wisconsin, Kevin's from Indiana, and Brandon Belt's from I don't know where in, in the U.S. And it's just like, I don't know if I could click with you at some point other than talking baseball. But now it's it's a it's a change. And, and like Joel said, it's a third of his life. And it's 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 very difficult to just up and have something change on you while still trying to maintain the high level of performance that you do. I agree when a work environment changes, it can be really, really difficult to, to, to perform the way you want to. I do agree with that. I am loath to suggest that because his friends are gone and there are fewer players who speak Spanish on the team, that that is, has had such an impact on him that this is the outcome. I just, I just think that he understands baseball is a business better than most players would because he's grown up with it. And I would like to think as a guy who wants to be excellent, right? He wants to be elite. He wants to win. I would like to think that that supersedes the rest of it and that the the adjustment to the new work environment would have come by now, right? Like, I just don't, I don't think that we can chalk up his struggles to strictly to that is what I'm trying to, is what I'm trying to say. Um, I don't even know how big of a percentage it would be um, mm -hmm. because it is a business. And you know what, being a business uh, with somebody who's going to be a free agent in a couple of years, giddy up, regardless <laughs> of who is around you, you got to get on it because you want to get paid. And you want to get paid as much as you possibly can, whether it's from the Jays or somebody else. And he knows that better than anybody. So I, I am loath to suggest that it's because certain players are not on the team anymore. Now, if okay. you want to talk lineup protection, perhaps, or look at it See, from that angle, that's I, different. I, I, want to, I want to combine with that, Jen, because like the people that left produced in a way that not only were they family, but he had an understanding of what they would bring in that lineup. So now when your family's gone and 35 home runs and 120 RBIs isn't there behind you, it's not just the guy that you loved his family, but it's that guy who you knew was there for you in the trenches. Right. No, I, I, I understand that. I'm just saying that he also knows what he's capable of and what his role is, right. Go out there, 
and hit the hit the ball, hit the ball hard, get it in the air. That's all you got to do. It literally doesn't. The rest of it doesn't matter. Right. That's what you need to do. Um, And so, uh, you know, his role hasn't changed. I don't know. Like I said, I I just don't know. I, I think there's more to it than that. I really do. I agree 100% that there's more to it here. Scott Carter sums it up beautifully. He says it could be a lot of factors, but one thing everyone can agree on is he is spiraling. Mm -hmm. And he is, and I think it is a lot of factors. That said, and I think it was Michelle Marie. Yeah. Where did she say this here? Remember how Bo lost? Remember how lost Bo was at the start of last season, Simeon post-trade? He played like a little leaguer and walked around like um, everyone most of the season until he sprung to life finally in September. Do you think it is possible that come September, none of this matters? Like, is it possible we see Vladdy completely on a, a complete tear on a heater similar to we saw Bo? Like, is this just a transition? In, it is. Or, you know, yeah. Absolutely, it's possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's absolutely possible that he finds it and and turns it around and, you know, everybody is back on the Vlad bandwagon and 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 good times are rolling. That's absolutely possible because he is more than capable of that. Um, will that happen? And I'm not trying. This is not a good comparison. So forgive me. But, you know, they were also hoping that Manoa would pull out of it as well. And he spiraled. Now he spiraled to a much greater depth. And so I'm not, that's why I'm saying it's a bad comparison and we're talking hitter versus pitcher and yada, yada. But, you know, I don't know what it will take to get him out of it, but it is affecting now every aspect of his game, right? It's not just at the plate. It's affecting every aspect of the game. And so I go back to, do you need to sit him for a day? Do you need to get the, 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 the conversation going and lightening the mood? And what is it that they need to do? You know, I don't, I don't know. And if, oh, it if is, we, if we knew Jen, we'd be, we'd be the cat. Well, yeah, I'm just saying like, we're, they know more than us. And yet, and I'm sure there are conversations going on behind closed doors, right? Clearly, like they're not just ignoring him. So I, I wonder if it might even be worth it to put him if he's not injured on the IL for 10 days, well, if he is injured on the IL for 10 days and let him just think and chill. I don't know. Like th- I, I'm, I'm pulling at straws here. I feel like I'm just like, <laughs> here, I've got a wild suggestion, right? The, the home run derby is always a thought of process that it will mess you up. But if you're already messed up, can it be a process to turn you around? Bryce right. Harper, this thing. That's right. right? Like, I think you in, know, in and it's fun. So go out and have fun. Exactly. Yeah. Right. It's just, I think he, it can, he Juan... can take that show and be the guy. Sorry, Connor. Go ahead. No, I, oh, I'm just quickly. It helped Juan Soto. Yes. In 2020, yeah. in 2021, I believe. Like he, he was kind of super mad for Juan Soto. And then he went to the Derby, put up like 50 home runs and then was Juan Soto again. So could be and, with Vlad. And like, Vlad gets the opportunity to be the king again. He's the even if he doesn't win it, he can go off and put up 40 home runs in a round and have everybody's jaws on the floor and looking at him like he's special amongst elite players. And just to have that sense of like people looking at him like he's that guy again might. 
he could get Teo to toss to him. <laughs> They're gonna make brother. me cry. <laughs> <laughs> okay, gang, let's uh, let's change the subject from Vladdy. Um, it's funny. I was worried about this being a short show, but we're already on the final twenty minutes here. So let's go to topics. Uh, we'll start with you, Connor, and would love to hear what you have brought to the table for us today. Okay, it's a bit of a it's a mix of a Blue Jays question and a baseball question in general. So as a lot of us saw, the All Star Game balloting has come out, uh, the update, and the Blue Jays have five or six guys within the top three of every position, which if you told me, like, if you looked at the team and said, who deserves to be an all-star, you'd say maybe one person and that's Bo Bichette. And, and I, I was, my, my main question is, is fan voting ruining all-star experiences? Because Vladimir Guerrero Jr. leads in first base votes when he does not deserve to be even top five in AL. And I think it, it gets worse because you can look at the NL. Lourdes Gurriel Jr. is top three in, in outfield voting in the National League. That is clearly something to do with the Blue Jays fans. That is not just Arizona Diamondbacks fans being like, oh, this guy is really good now. No, that's us being like, we miss you, Lourdes. And, <laughs> and I think fan voting is, yeah, what's your opinion on fan voting with the All-Star game is my question. Definitely. I love this question. Yeah, this is really good. Fan, and I, I had something similar, but it wasn't like from the fan voting perspective. But I like this. Um, I mean, obviously, I think the the, I think a very high percentage of fans vote based on name recognition, um, or based on who they would like to see, and not necessarily who is deserving to go that season, right? Um, so on the one hand, I mean, it is. When it was strictly an exhibition game and it was strictly a fun break in the middle of the year and they and, and MLB gets to put on a show and the players get to put on a show and, and it didn't mean anything, then sure, by all means, vote for who the players that you recognize that you want to see. But now that the game actually does mean something, right, home field advantage, right, like that to me then that that makes it a little bit trickier to just go with the fan vote did they remove is it yeah that's advantage? what i'm wondering i think is that, I think is that what it is ago, i think i think two years ago it? jen they removed that so now it's back to like no, not meaning anything i think Why so did I miss, uh, how did i miss this here connor i'm gonna google something well, mm -hmm. I'm going to Google this. I well, mean, then you... ignore me. Ignore me. Just pretend well, I should. No, that was when I should have muted myself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, this is just a small yeah, point. Yeah, Jen. So 2021, they removed the winner uh, getting home sense. field advantage. Yeah. Yeah. But I think ignore like just a, just a small thing about fan voting as well. The Blue Jays had like three All-Stars. Santiago Espinal was an All-Star last year. When he, did he deserve to go? Absolutely not. Like. <laughs> But because he was so high in the fan votes, he was an injury replacement. That's like, okay, you were voted super high, even though you're super eh at, at hitting, you're able to go in. But yeah, I've, uh, Joel, what's, what do you think? I, I was going to say, um, should we like hit it with the like Canadian American exchange rate where like one Canadian 
you know, one of uh, our votes are worth thirty-six uh, percent less, you know, from exchange rate because of the dollar. You know, <laughs> what it says to me though is that like, our we have doesn't it tell us that we have the biggest fan base, right? Mm-hmm. If we're able to consistently. Yeah, yeah, we're able to consistently put our team in there no matter how good they do, right? We, we, our fan base dominates this vote, right? So it's like. So if they were to change you, the Jay's system, fans. if they were to change the system, would you want it to be player voting? I think it's not a full, you don't fully, what I believe the NBA does, and which is what I love when it comes to voting for, for starters, like fans' votes are worth half. And the other, and the 25% is players and then managers and then coaches also vote on who should be starters in the game. And then when it comes to reserves, the entire reserves is picked by coaches. I think if you go to that NBA system, as opposed to it's purely fan vote, you get a lot more of a a balanced opinion on things because a player like Yandy Diaz should not be behind Vladdy right now at first base. Matt Chapman should not be leading at third base. I agree with everything you're saying here, Connor. I do think that with the all-star game, not meaning all that much that the fan vote is important. I think that the kids love the fan voting. I know that I have a little, uh, a little niece who is like just crazy about the blue Jays and she goes online every day and she votes and it's part of the engagement. I think that the best thing they could do is maybe instead of eliminating fan vote, you weight it differently, like you said, like the NBA, or maybe there's only one or two players that are voted from the fans. So it's not quite so drastic. So you're not getting guys like Matt Chapman that are leading third base by a mile when he hasn't hit a ball in two months. So, you know, uh, I, I do like the fan voting and I, I know I'm, I know I'm, I'm the oddity in the chat here. Most people are like, do away with it, but I do think it really does engage with that young fan base. And I do think it's important to do that for baseball. So I, I do like the fan voting. I just think that it should be weighted differently so that we're seeing the true all-stars. Okay. Uh, Brandon Belt is second place in designated hitter voting. I know that's a problem. <laughs> that's a problem. He should not be second place. but also i think that we fans don't get to vote on pitchers which is another thing and since every team needs to have a representative to say the blue jays get matt chapman vladimir Guerrero jr bo bichette and brandon belt does that stop a guy like kevin gosman getting into the all-star game because you need one from every team Mm -hmm. and and that would be the shame that would be the shame uh, I know Scott Carter says here, the only thing I care less about than the all-star game is the hall of fame. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> okay. Joel, before we toss to Jen for her topic, or I'm sure she has a, a couple for us to choose from. What are you bringing to the table to talk about here, bud? I, I feel bad because my, my topic was something I kind of already brought up, but it was, do you think that the team needed some sort of rallying cry like a, like the home run jacket? I, I just kind of blurted it out, but my topic was, was going to be that I, I can take Jen's uh, topic and try to like, think of one on the spot really, really quickly. I'm sorry. I didn't think of a counter um, uh, point to bring up, but God, Joel, you're like, my, my down point here. I'm sorry, Shame. but, but I, I don't know. I'll, I'll just pose it I, again, even though we kind of addressed it, like, 
I, I, I guess not. We did. We addressed it really well that we kind of agree that we need something to rally around and whether it's the jacket or not. Right. Just something that everybody can hold on to and say, I want to be a part of this celebration. Right. I want to be, you know, whether I'm cheering my teammate who did it or I'm the one who gets it right. Just something to, you know, feel okay. that pure joy of, of success. Right. Like something to that bird bath in Baltimore, man, when they have that, when they're doing that stuff to you, man, do you want to, you're jealous. I'm jealous. They, I want a bird bath. Sprinkler, like, Why can't we do that? Right. Like, so why didn't we two, figure that out? Two, two quick things, whatever they do, I'd love to see something for a pitcher. Like if a pitcher, like strikes someone out in a really big moment or something like that. And they strut off the mound, they get to do whatever yeah. it is that the team is doing. I'd like to see it apply to everybody in like a Hadouken fireball, <laughs> but something, any, like whatever, but okay. So then to turn this around, Joel, what, what would you want? Like if you were there and saying, Hey guys, let's do this as our celebration. What would you do? See, like <sighs> the Mariners have that great one with the trident. That trident looks so sweet it whenever fits. they grab it at the end. They stand there like Aquaman. I love the Orioles birdbath because it engages with the fans. And I think that that combining something where the team is awesome, but you look and you see a section is filled out and they're all doing something that is an, kind of a direct representation of what they're doing in the dugout, something that you can permeate into the fan base. Like, I, I would love something like that where it's, I, I don't know. The I have jacket, no idea. The jacket it's like, bring it. permeated. Like, What's that? The, the jacket permeated. You saw little kids yeah. with their own custom jackets. Like, I own a sweater that's basically the home run jacket. Like, it permeated. And you need something like that again with the, with the team. And no, but I, some, sorry, sorry, Connor, I didn't mean to interrupt, no, but I, I get what you're saying. Like something almost where the person who hits the home run, like salutes the crowd and the crowd salutes back, like some kind, it's something of that nature where it's like the whole sort of stadium can kind of yeah, do like, it. Yeah. And, and um, I, I like even the idea of a, a salute is interesting because tipping the cap is kind of something that you do in an amazing moment. Right. So that would, you apply that to the the concept, but I like what you said about it being a pitcher as well. Some of my favorite moments with the home run jacket is when a, a, a dominant performance and they throw it on the pitcher and you're like, Oh yeah, that's awesome. Right. Like it became the, it became the eight innings, one run jacket, you know, in certain situations when pitchers were awesome. So I don't know, just, but I really like, I really like what Baltimore is doing with that big dump water on everybody and they're just sitting there drenched and they couldn't be happier you know um i don't know devil Maybe boy in chat like devil boy in chat says team just needs anything that points all that talent in the same direction at the same time whatever that is and that pretty much sums That's it up good. perfectly yeah okay jen what do you got for us I mean, we've basically covered this one in the entire podcast. It was a question on Jay's <laughs> talk last night. And the question was, um, is this a really good team that is underperforming or are they just not that good of a team? That was the question. Um, my other, so that was a question to Jay's talk that the host had difficulty answering. Um, the other question, which would be strictly baseball related is, why does Rob Manfred hate baseball so much? <laughs> How much time do we have? I don't know, but run with it. Run with it. 
he's he's okay. Old, I'll he's start. An old fuddy duddy. I'll start. <laughs> I I I do wish to just take the Manfred one here really quickly because, um, he's kind of what Gary Bettman became commissioner wise with the NHL as like a lightning rod for all of the fans hate and doing the dirty work and doing it very well for the ownership. Uh, making money hand over fist. Uh, so I want to pose the question, why do the owners hate baseball so much? Because as much as I dislike Rob Manfred, and I do, and I thought I disliked Bud, Bud Selig, and now I'm like, boy, what it would be like to have Bud still around. Like, <laughs> <laughs> But I just wonder, I just wonder um, why Rob Manfred... In, what really stands out to me is this Oakland situation and his press conference about it and, and how much he, I felt like he just was taking shots at Oakland fans for no freaking reason. Like they're down and out, bud. Can you not show a little cooth? Like I normally give Rob Manfred the benefit of the doubt, which is he's just doing what the shitty billionaire owners want him to do. But I mean, you gotta, you gotta take shots at, at a fan base that is losing an iconic, team a team that baseball runs through the veins of oakland and not just the baseball but like the the cultural significance of that oakland team in the 60s and 70s with what they did for black ball players and how much that that team went out of their way to make sure that the youth could come into the to the park they were buying tickets for the kids you know like there is so much history there to see rob manfred go up there and be so flippant and just kind of just, I don't know. I, I don't really have a full on point here other than <laughs> it was one of the more disappointing things I've seen Rob Manford do. And I have disliked a lot that that man has done. And it just seemed so over the top and so unnecessary to kick that fan base when they're down. It, it really broke my heart in all honesty. And I just, it was if you're incredibly an Oakland fan. insulting, yeah. incredibly mm-hmm. insulting to that fan base to say the absolute least. And to, mm-hmm. I understand you're essentially a paid mouthpiece for the owners, but to never, ever, ever criticize an owner, you know, like to never suggest, hey, this isn't good for the game. And that the owners can literally just destroy a team, destroy a city, you know, and, and it's, and, and you're going to just not only stand by it, but then crap all over that that fan base. Like now you've taken your role as mouthpiece and extended it way too far, right? Way, way, Mm -hmm. way too far. And I really don't, I don't under, I don't understand it. You know, I, I can't even imagine the other owners like what's going on in Oakland. I think that that's a big part of uh, why. Of course not. I agree. Right. Yeah. Sorry, Connor, go ahead. No, no, no. That's a big thing is like Oakland, they'd want Oakland out of the revenue sharing because of how terrible that owner has been. And, and to the point of like them moving to Vegas with Oakland, Vegas, as, as big as Vegas, we like to think Vegas is, it's like the 41st largest media market in the entire U.S., it's they're downgrading as far as media market, but it's only yeah. in perception. And who's to say that even if they move to Vegas, the owners can spend. You could they, they could just be fielding the same Oakland A's team just with a new coat of paint. Like 
Oh, a new know. a new stadium. Yeah, <laughs> a, a new stadium that's taken eighty weeks to figure out if you're getting money from the the the, the state the state or not. Yeah, but man, Fred, there's just so many like decisions about like that whole let the kids let the kids play even where it just was like oh we're we're rigid 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 all of a sudden no you can do everything like there was no seamless like okay we're gonna start letting these things happen it just went from rigid old fuddy duddies to let all of the young people play and regardless of how they they do it it's going to be good for the game which it is but manfred decided to take that process and move it into one season and that that's where you got all the like the tim anderson bat flip stuff that happened in 2019 you got differentiated opinions and and like you said he's an owner he's an ownership mouthpiece and it's never going to change really until he until he personally steps up and, and calls somebody out for it but it's not going to happen because he's comfortable with his job, which granted. But I feel like this was a situation where he could have called out an owner easily. and other owners wouldn't have necessarily cared. You oh, know what easily. I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So like that where I, I guess I was going to give him the benefit of the doubt, but you're absolutely right. He could have done something there, but it's just a matter of how you let this Oakland situation dwindle so far, so fast. And you oh. had no say in it, like no, conversations with john fisher about what are you trying to do with this team and if you're truly trying to make a winning baseball team or just make money because that's because oakland that that's what irritated me the most oakland's one of the most profitable teams in baseball even with them losing 110 games every year and that's the saddest part is because the only way that it's going to stop john fisher is if he's not making money which which is why they wanted Oakland out of the revenue sharing, but that didn't happen. So now we're going to Las Vegas. And just a few points in chat here while we're talking this Oakland scenario, Devil Boy says they settled for a nine acre lease of land in Vegas over the 55 acres that they were trying to strong arm the city of Oakland for. Scott Carter says the plan in Oakland was always to ask for so much from the city that they could never agree so that he could always say the city couldn't come to an agreement. And I mean, it has been so obvious. This isn't subtle. This hasn't been um, a maybe this is what he's doing. It's just so obvious. And the fact that Rob Manfred stood by and just let it happen. uh, Yeah. It's pretty shitty for baseball. Okay, let's let's end on this. Uh, We lost Joel here, which is fine. So a big thank you. I just want to say thank you to everyone in the chat. We were up over 90 viewers here for a while. I know I think we're even we're almost two hours in and still at 75. So thank you to everyone in the chat. We are doing a live walk off podcast next Thursday here in Calgary. Adam and I are going to be doing some stand up. We're going to be doing some giveaways. It is going to be a very fun show. So if you're in Calgary, let's unite all of us Alberta Jays fans. Come on out. That's Bottle Screw Bills. If you go to the pinned comment at the top here, that is where the ticket link is. I will uh, end on this. Scott Carter with a super chat. Uh, he threw us eight bucks. So thank you to Scott. He says, great show, which is higher at the end of the season. Oakland losses. Tampa Bay wins, which defines the season. Jen, what do you think? Uh, well, Tampa's going to win, what, probably 100 games? At least. Do we figure, right? Yeah. Uh, is Oakland going to have 100, more than 100 losses? Yeah. Probably. <laughs> probably. <laughs> unless they unless they have multiple seven-game win streaks in them. Yeah, exactly. 
You know, I I don't know. Uh, yeah, I think uh, I think Oakland will have more losses than wait. Yes, Oakland will have more losses than Rays will have wins. Is that the question? Yeah. Yeah, I've, yeah. I'm inclined to agree. The Rays already have 50 wins, and they're still not even more than the A's losses. The A's are at 55 losses, so it's going to be the A's. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I I kind of have to go with with all of you guys. Uh, I think it's pretty obvious it's going to be the A's with the most losses. We'll see. I actually hope that Oakland continues this little heater they're on and, and isn't historically the worst team in baseball. That would be the dream. Um, but yeah, I think so with that gonna... reverse. Sorry, I think with that little reverse boycott, boycott, quote unquote, that's going on in Oakland, and the fans showing up and their signs, you know, lamenting the lot potential loss of the team and slamming ownership. I, I think for the team to to kind of go on a bit of a run would be incredible from as a baseball story. Yeah, like it, I yeah, don't think it yeah. changes the outcome of anything, but no. as a story. I think it would be phenomenal. I, th- I think it's also going to be very awkward next year because they're still going to be in Oakland next year. They're not, they're still playing in Oakland in that Coliseum. So it's going to be very awkward for the next couple of years with A's fans in the A's. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be interesting to see what goes on here. We'll leave it at that. A big thank you to Joel for joining us. He's actually trying to come back in, but Joel, we're going to just going to wrap it up here. So thanks to everybody, everyone in the chat. You guys have been incredible. Jen and Connor are always the 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 iron folks of this show and and when things are thin and it's just three people it's always you two and uh, let me tell you i really appreciate it so uh great job you two thank you so much for joining us thanks to everyone all the best everybody cheers cheers thanks for listening to the walk-off podcast with scott belford and adam mack with a new episode every friday Thanks for listening.